Hello, this is Lauren and you are listening to It's Not You, It's the System. It's been quite a while since I have recorded a new episode and frankly, I don't have my typical intro written down in front of me like I usually do in part because I just wanted to get this recording done. I have put it off for about a week, not always intentionally, but because things came up and I knew if I had to sit down at my computer and find the document and go through all the steps, I wouldn't do it. So I'm just on the couch recording into my phone. But also part of why I'm not reading the typical intro is that I'm in a space at the moment where I think a lot of what I do is going to shift. Not in big ways and not in fundamental ways, I don't believe, but I don't, I I don't know. I'm starting to think about my work in different ways than I was before I did these last going on six months, seven months of working full-time on a local political campaign, specifically a city council campaign here in Denver that is now in a very intense, very tough runoff race. So backing up just for a moment, this recording is meant to be a little missive from Campaign Life and to share about what's been going on because I haven't been able to post any new episodes since I want to say mid-February. Yikes, it's been a while. And also just to share some reflections on what I'm learning being back in a campaign role full-time, which I have not done in almost nine years. And frankly, I haven't worked full-time for any single client in a very long time either. Uh, Very, very intentionally. (laughs) I am not someone who generally does very well when I have just one thing going on. But this was a short-term situation, very, very, very aligned with what I care about. It is my personal community that I live in. I really love all of the people involved and I've met so many other great people along the way. So the, yeah, the benefits of this (laughs) for me personally and selfishly far outweigh the challenges that I have of just having to focus on one singular goal or challenge for a stretch of time. So if you have not listened to well, when I say recent episodes, I mean like December. <laughs> I believe that was when I started sharing that I was going to work for this campaign. At the time, it was just in the general election for a city council race here in Denver's District 10, which is kind of our central area of neighborhoods. We are about 70% renters in a city with a serious housing affordability crisis and homelessness crisis. We have neighborhoods that have a lot of the encampments of unhoused neighbors, high eviction rates, basically people are having a rough fucking time. And Denver is a lot less affordable and livable than it was four years ago when the incumbent was elected. So Shannon Hoffman, who I'm working with full-time, she decided to challenge him after trying really hard to advocate for change and trying to collaborate with his office from the outside, she realized that was never going to happen and decided, she and her community at the time decided, we've got to put someone else in. And Shannon was the person who made the most sense and who was willing to 
put herself forward for this for this role for our community. So I came on board intending to be like a part-time communications consultant <laughs> starting like mid-December. And it became clear pretty quickly that there was a need for more support, not just on communications, but also fundraising and managing the budget. And I've done things that I never thought in a million years I'd be able to figure out how to do, like editing video for digital ads that go on YouTube and (laughs) things that, yeah, are just kind of across a lot of different areas of the campaign. And it's been a huge learning curve on some levels. And also on other levels, it's been like, oh, okay, I I know this animal. (laughs) I know what I'm dealing with here. And even though it's been a very long time since I've worked on a campaign and I've never worked on a Denver campaign before, a lot of the same principles are connected between my past work and what I'm doing currently. So it's been validating to know that a lot of the expertise and experience and knowledge that I've gained even since working full-time on a campaign still are helpful I've drawn on a lot of the marketing skills that I bring to my client work, working with small business owners, for example, and a lot of just the principles of what a field plan looks like and, you know, basic PR stuff that still is not super different (laughs) than it was before either. What has been the learning curve, though, is like the nuances of Denver politics and some of the personalities and leaders and figureheads that I just wasn't familiar with and some of the more complex niche issues neighborhood by neighborhood I've learned so much about where I live and it's really made me fall in love with Denver in a whole new way and especially with our district and my neighborhood where I live and it's really lit me up in a way that I was not expecting to be lit up about my my town my city the interesting thing has been being almost 10 years older and having five years of sobriety under my belt as well and some pretty good years of trauma recovery even on top of that going into this because the last time I was on a campaign full-time that was the first time I ever experienced self-harming thoughts that was how toxic and stressful and abusive <laughs> that work environment was. I'm like laughing, but it's because it, it sounds ridiculous to say out loud that that was how bad things were. And at the time being, you know, 26, 27, maybe, I don't think I really understood that it wasn't me. It was the system. <laughs> and of course, like confronting my people pleasing stuff and my self diminishing stuff and the the lack of boundaries I had back then was something I needed to learn and be in that situation, I think, to really get it. But the interesting thing about now almost 10 years on is that versions of that still come up for me, that although I don't pathologize myself for struggling with the things I struggle with, I am noticing where especially when I'm this tired, like physically under-rested, which was an intentional choice because it's a short-term situation for a clear goal for something that means a lot to me, with, by the way, very high stakes for my community. It, it's, it's normal, I guess, to go back to 
old programming when my body is this tired. That's normal for anybody that when you're depleted and not able to care for yourself at the level that ideally you would be able to, like our brains are wired to go back to the deepest grooves, to those oldest neural pathways. That's, that's what feels safest and easiest. So that's in some ways what's come out for me. I am much faster at catching it when it's happening, specifically around like overworking, people pleasing. I don't know, I'm trying to think of other ones, making myself small. Those are kind of the three big ones. And I had a pretty interesting moment actually just on Thursday. I'm recording this on Sunday, May 7th. I think it's the 7th today. But on Thursday, we had our first debate between Shannon and our opponent, who's the incumbent council member who, you know, said a lot of progressive buzzwords four years ago when he ran. He even said defund the police back in 2020 when it was popular or more popular. And basically has flip-flopped on like every single issue. He's now attacking our campaign for being advocates of smart spending on public safety. Like, why are we funding the cops so much when we know that alternative programs work better for most things? You know, very common sense stuff that he now all of a sudden has issues with and wants to fearmonger with. And, you know, he lost, he, he had a lot of really high profile endorsements from groups like the Colorado Working Families Party four years ago, they've now endorsed us. (laughs) So it's a very interesting matchup between a status quo that maybe four years ago looked like the progressive choice, but is very clearly like a corporate-backed status quo, dark-moneyed, private developers' favorite (laughs) option. I think even like the Denver Republican Party has come out and said they support this guy, which is really strange. And then we have Shannon and a grassroots campaign that is built on community that is building a truly progressive coalition of voters. And, you know, she's a renter. There aren't any renters on city council. Meanwhile, we have an eviction crisis and widespread homelessness because people can't afford to stay housed. So it's this very clear choice. And so this was our first debate of the runoff. The runoff ends on June 6th, so we're in this very short but very intense stretch toward this finish line. And our opponent made a comment at this debate that there are a lot of things, let me back up for a second. (laughs) It's been a long time since I have been a quote-unquote staffer for somebody. I've consulted and coached a lot of candidates and people doing political work over the last several years in my work like with my business. But I haven't like staffed somebody, meaning that most of the time my role is I'm not there to like talk or be the center of attention. It's quite the opposite. I'm there to support the candidate. I'm there to get the message out and do all the behind the scenes work, which is great. It's it's a role that works for what I'm doing right now and it's what's needed, right? And, you know, I'm someone who like I've had a couple podcasts in my life and I I am very transparent about my own story and I use my own experience to advance things that I care about, both in my own community, but also give other people tools to do that in their communities. And so it's been a balance sometimes of like, oof, like I, I personally have something I'd like to say about XYZ. And all the time, 
that that thought comes up usually, actually, I should say, I don't, I don't know, I'm sure it's close to all the time, but Shannon generally says exactly what I'm thinking <laughs> on her platform. And I'm like, okay, good. Because again, there's a lot of alignment here with values and what I would like to see happen for our our community and our city. And she's also, I think, more tactical and uh, patient <laughs> than I am. We'll put it that way. I am not good at hiding it when I have disdain for somebody or I don't respect somebody because what they're doing is so awful. And that doesn't play well for women (laughs) on a public platform. And it's why I don't know if I'm somebody who should necessarily run for office someday because I'm not very good at hiding when I think someone's a fucking idiot. (laughs) So anyway, we're at this debate. He makes a comment that Something just inside my brain went, nope, mm It's not the first time I've been irritated, annoyed, incensed, offended by something that an opponent says. But this was a comment about sexual assault survivors that was intended to vilify unhoused people. So him saying this, and vilifying unhoused people and connecting them to sexual assaults in this way and tokenizing survivors in this way made something in my brain just, mm -mm. like, nope, I hit a wall. I had to physically get up and leave the room. I was so angry. I took a couple deep breaths outside. I had, like, whispered to my colleague, like, I need to leave for a second. I'll be right back. So she kind of continued like the live tweeting and recording and stuff. I came back and I'm in this group chat with our supporters and I was, and everyone's like, what the fuck did he just say? And like other survivors I know are feeling very similar ways. And so I made up my mind, like I'm this dude's constituent. I currently live in his district. That was not okay. What he said, I you know, it's up to Shannon if she wants to address it, we can talk about it. But for me personally, just like as me, Lauren, Lauren, the person, not Lauren, the staffer, I need to go say something to him. So I don't remember a lot of the details of the rest of the debate because my brain was so fixated on like, wow, that was so wrong and so disgusting. And I have to say something. I couldn't, I physically had to say something. I could not leave that room without addressing it with him afterwards. So the debate ends. I turn on my Instagram live because I wanted a record of what was said. Again, he's a public official. That is normal. I asked my friend Haley to also record just in case mine went out. So I went up to him, shook his hand, reminded him who I am, that I work with Shannon, that I wasn't speaking for her, that she didn't know I was doing this or asked me to or anything like that. I made it clear I was recording. Uh, And just said everything I just said that I thought he needed to apologize, that it wasn't okay. I can't remember exactly what I said, but he made some comment like, well, I didn't know your story until just now. And I'm sitting there thinking, regardless of what my story is, like you shouldn't tokenize survivors in that way, period. Like speak from your own experience, sure. But to, to do that and vilify unhoused folks who are suffering so much already and who you are causing a lot of their suffering by your lack of action and the policies that you continue to support 
despite evidence about how bad they are for everybody, not just the unhoused folks themselves. Like, my brain just couldn't compute it because you have to be pretty fucking cynical to see why someone would do that. And I don't think sometimes when I'm in that space that I can always remember that not everybody is operating from a real value system that... I mean, it's obvious, <laughs> and I, of all people, should know, but in politics, people try to score points however they can. And we were in a room full of people who may agree with him on this issue. I'm lucky that I work with someone, and Shannon is somebody who says what she means and means what she says no matter who she's talking to. She has that integrity. This guy, he flip-flops, and he changes how he talks depending on what room he's in. So frankly, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was still. I I was incensed and offended is like way too light of a word. I was deeply like hurt and my pain around being a survivor on so many levels caught back on fire. And I know it did for a lot of other people in that room and a lot of people who heard this on Twitter and on the video later. And he couldn't really give me like a good reason (laughs) His staffer, who I think is a pretty young person, had walked up next to him. And that was around the time I was saying, I don't know who told you to say this, but like your staff guy, you, whatever consultants you're paying, you need to reevaluate how you're talking about this because that's not okay on any level. But back to like the whole, you know, I didn't know your story. It's like, well, I don't know the statistics for people who wouldn't identify as a man or a woman, but I know generally for women it's one in four of us for men it's one in six of course these numbers are probably way too low because it's an underreported experience but like any room that you're in you should just assume that you're going to impact people who have that story and even if you're in a room and you ask every single person if they're a survivor and they say no all of us know someone who is you're perpetuating and, and using a false narrative about a group of people who are already struggling so much, like to, to score political points. And it's not, it, it, even like right now, I feel my words leaving me. And that's what I felt happening in the moment when I watched the video back that my friend Haley took. Like, thankfully, I didn't talk in too many circles but this is how I felt like my brain was going so fast with like (sighs) grief frankly and like heartbreak and rage and pain all from like a very deep place of love and care and protection for not just for others who have gone through this but for myself too I I kind of just I don't know what else to say besides that. I'm really glad I said something immediately afterward, just like what has happened anytime I have confronted a powerful man, especially in public. I had like a few minutes of, oh my God, did I do the wrong thing? Oh my God, like I'm, I'm an asshole doing that reversal <laughs> thing to myself, like turning the table on myself that somehow I'm wrong or bad for saying something and making a powerful man uncomfortable. But yeah, a couple couple days later now, I'm, I'm very clear that's not the case, but it's just interesting how that programming 
gets fired up usually right afterward. And there's usually a good eight hours or so of self-doubt. But I'm grateful because there were people around who were supportive and, and Shannon herself was too. And I'm glad I was able to say something. And it reminded me that, yeah, my role in this campaign is not to be speaking up on my own behalf or <laughs> like for anybody else. But me as just an individual, as a person living here, as a person existing and surviving and doing my best in this world, like my voice is is still there. And I think that's a big reason why I miss podcasting. I miss writing and I'm looking forward to having the space and the bandwidth for that when this is over, probably starting mid-June. Two other quick things I'll share besides remembering what it feels like to use my own voice for my own purposes that I'm learning about here is, you know, some of those people-pleasing, self-doubty tendencies are showing up in other ways. And I've had to look at that and remind myself like, okay, this is going to get more irritated and agitated when you are tired and not eating a full meal until dinner time. And I've had to get really protective over my mental health. I had a mantra last year that was like, I don't fuck with anything if it fucks with number one, my well-being, and number two, my marriage. Those are my top two priorities. So yeah, when I start to get into territory where one or both of those priorities starts to feel like it's getting fucked with, I have to navigate that. So that's been very interesting to relearn in a different way. And I guess the other thing is I went into this feeling pretty clear on what I do know how to do and what I don't know how to do. And some of the don't know how column has now moved over to the know how column because I've just had to kind of figure certain things out. We have limited budget, limited staff. I work with brilliant, amazing, capable people and like we're all only human (laughs) and it's not like we could hire super fancy video producers to cut our ads or although we were very fortunate that we had a little bit of support in that area and some really expert people involved however a lot the bulk of a lot of the work has been been me doing any communication stuff so I'm yeah I I've learned certain skills especially on like a technical level that I never really thought I would need to know or 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 have time to learn so I've got a few more tools in my tool belt. But the other thing is that my instincts, I've, I've felt very, I guess, reassured that my instincts when it comes to managing a budget, how to allocate resources for different priorities based on what a field plan looks like, what I have advocated internally for in terms of our field plan, even though I'm not a field expert, like those are things that people with a lot more experience than I have have also said. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I was on the right track with this line of thinking I had. So that's been really interesting. And I don't know, it's kind of like built my confidence a little bit that, yeah, like I'm never going to be somebody who's doing deep data analysis work for like demographics, nor one, because I don't want to, and number two, because there are people way better at it than I am. But that my instincts about it and the questions I ask are the right ones. So those are like two more things I'm kind of learning like, oh, I can trust myself. And oh, like 
got to really protect these two things, <laughs> my, my well-being and my marriage. And once I feel if one of those is getting a little wonky, it's a sign I've got to tighten up my own boundaries, right? And then the last thing is, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. I think it's more, uh, I was going to say it's that like balance is bullshit and that I really don't need people telling me to take care of myself (laughs) or find balance or rest when I'm doing my best to do those things. And I'm thinking back to times where I've coached people and really encouraged them to get more support. And there are some seasons of life where that's just not feasible because there are certain things I need that are just not possible. They're not something in my control. They're not something I have the resources for, the connections for. Also just like laws of physics, like there are only so many hours in a day. If I had two more days every week and we had a nine day week instead of a seven day week, maybe I could get some of my needs met, but that's not a thing. Or maybe if I had a trust fund, right? And so I'm learning for myself to just have some acceptance that like I'm doing my best and, you know, I'm not going to fold laundry anymore and we're going to eat more takeout <laughs> and there's not something wrong with me if for one more month I need to just kind of operate at a good enough level in terms of my self-care. But I am getting better at doing things like keeping my dentist appointments. I'm getting massages more in part because I, I don't know make the time for it. But also, frankly, I don't know how I would function if I don't do some of these things anymore. But then other things that might seem standard for some people, like enough sleep, that's just not going to happen. So I'm also just kind of letting go of needing to perform balance to make other people comfortable. So that's my little message from, from this world that I'm in that feels very I don't want to say separate, but definitely adjacent to the other work I've been doing for such a long time as an entrepreneur, all the different, you know, buckets, like there were one-on-one clients and there were group programs and there was coaching. And then sometimes I would do more like consulting and marketing stuff. And I, I miss having lots of different things to do. I miss that creative space and having lots of different containers for creating And again, this is a short-term situation. And so I'm looking forward to being able to stretch myself in these different directions again, starting in June. I truthfully don't really know what my work is going to look like going forward. I don't think the substance of it will change. I don't think my message is changing. I don't see myself getting rid of the podcast or any anything significant like that. But I do think that my offerings are going to look a little different. I think the containers people can work with me in are going to look different. I've had an autoresponder on my email pretty much since January that says something to the effect of, I'm not going to be able to really reply to you until (laughs) after this election. So if you're someone who's reached out about working together and I haven't replied to you, or I replied and said, hey, I'll get back to you when I can, just know that you're on my list to reach out to next month if you are still interested in getting some support with, I don't know if it's your marketing, your communications, if there's like 
more personal side of coaching that getting some support with, you know, kind of building the self-trust muscle in order to get your voice out there. I still love all of this stuff. I just don't know exactly what shape it's going to take. So once I have some clarity on that for myself, I will definitely share that first with the folks who have reached out to me directly, but also with my email list. So if you're not on my email list and you want to make sure you're in the loop on the latest and greatest, be sure to jump on there. I will link that in the show notes. I can't remember if I've said this already, but I do intend to go back to bi-weekly episodes. I'm excited to start releasing some of these guest episodes because I have some amazing conversations that just haven't been able to see the light of day quite yet. I hope that whatever season of life you find yourself in, that you're just giving yourself a lot of love and acceptance and grace and also doing whatever you can to take care Because just because, for instance, I'm in this really busy season, but I'm not saying, well, fuck everything. I'm going to just keep staying up till 4 or 5 a.m. to get work done. Like, no, I was doing that for about a month before the general election, but I stopped doing that (laughs) generally at this point. I kept my dentist appointment two weeks ago. Like, there are little ways that you can hold on to those self-care priorities. You can ask for help. One thing I read recently that was like, oh my God, yes, those are the words. I believe her name is Catherine something, but she wrote a book called The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control. And it's not about fixing your perfectionism. It's about understanding how it is a strength. And instead of pathologizing yourself for being a perfectionist or having that trait, how can you instead of tipping into like maladaptive perfectionism, make it adaptive for you. And in a chapter about asking for help, she describes this reframe of, think of asking for help as a refusal to give up. And if there's one thing I know how to do after five years of sobriety, going on a decade of trauma recovery through like, I know how to ask for help now. And that is one thing I didn't know how to do last time I was in a campaign life. So if there's help that you need that you're not asking for, I would encourage you to take one little baby step toward it, like Google providers in your area if you're looking for a new therapist, or schedule a time on your calendar for next weekend to look for a new therapist. Or if you can afford it, and you're ready to pay someone to come clean your house every other month, even if it's just for a couple of hours to help keep up with things, do that. It doesn't mean anything about you. If you need an accountant to help with your taxes because you haven't filed them yet, zero judgment, by the way. Maybe you start just looking for someone or ask a friend for a recommendation. Like Sometimes just taking that first little step can help build the momentum that you need to keep going. So you've got this. And I will be back in a couple of weeks with guest episodes. So look forward to that. And in the meantime, take good care.